Hello, Swim Talkers, and welcome to another edition of Torpedo Swim Talk. I'm your host, Danielle Sperling, and each week I talk to a master swimmer from around the world about their swimming journey. It is always lovely to meet a fellow kindred swimmer, and that was no exception with my guest today, FINA Masters world record holder, Katie Glenn McClelland. Katie lives, swims and coaches at high altitude in Vail, Colorado with off-piste aquatics. Let's hear all about her swimming journey, which she graciously shares with us on this episode. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, you're really welcome. Where where are you coming to us from today? I'm in Vail, Colorado. Oh, lovely. Okay. Have you always lived in Vail? No, I and was born in Texas and then lived there the majority of my life. And when I met my husband, I moved to California. We lived in Palo Alto where Stanford University is. And then about seven years ago, we moved to Vail full-time. Oh, amazing. I believe I've seen some pretty um, wonderful photos on your social media with a pool with snow surrounded all around the edges. Is that where you, you swim all year round? It is. It's an outdoor 25-meter pool. We look at the East Vale shoots. We're at 8,400 feet, uh, which I don't actually know what that converts to to meters, but pretty high. <laughs> pretty high. And, but the water's a nice 82 degrees Fahrenheit all year round and makes it for a nice environment to swim. That's beautiful. So when, when it snows, does the pool have covers on sort of when you're not swimming or to keep the snow out or does it just go into the pool? How does that work? Well, they'll cover it at night, but during the day, if we have a big storm, the snow will just melt right on top of the pool. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. It's really fun to be swimming in the snow. You feel like you're in a snow globe. Yeah, you would. And so you have to obviously get changed inside and then just run out through the snow to jump in the water. Is that how it works? It is. We have a heated deck just around the edge of the pool. So going in and out from the locker room, you actually don't have to touch the snow, but several people, you know, upon a dare might hop out and do a snow angel or (laughs) grab snow and throw snowballs during practice. (laughs) <laughs> it sounds wonderful. <laughs> so that's where your off-piste aquatics is um, centered. And it is. How, how many members do you have? We have about 15 people that swim pretty regularly on our team because Vail itself is a pretty small community. I'd say there might be 3,000 full-time residents. It's a big tourist destination. So we get a lot of visitors, master swimmers who are coming to ski, but then they'll also want to come and get a good swim workout. So we get a, a fair number of drop-ins from all over the country. Um, even we get the occasional foreigner will come and join us as well, which is really fun for us. Yeah. And what's it like training at um, altitude all year round? Well, once you live here full-time, you don't really feel it as much, but when I would definitely say it took me more than a year to get acclimated, especially trying to do kind of anaerobic or race pace things. I found it much more difficult to recover. Um, And also my heart rate would spike. And so it was interesting to realize I couldn't push like I can at sea level until I got acclimated. And even now I'll find that I don't have the ability to withstand some of the race pace anaerobic threshold sets that we would do at sea level with no problem up here at altitude. And how does it feel when you go down to sea level? I've never swum at altitude before, but do you get a a bit of a sort of a speed rush? Yes. Yes. I I would say, especially for pool swimming events, 500 and lower, you definitely feel like you have more energy on the the second half of the race. I don't, and I guess it would translate even to an open water swim, you know, something 5k or higher that you could still get the benefit from it. You just, your engine has kind of um, been programmed to not need as much oxygen or your, you know, your recovery just is a little bit quicker at sea level. 
Yeah. And what, what kind of recovery techniques worked for you during that sort of period when you were acclimatizing? Well, not going as far and not going as hard um, with a lot of recovery. You know, if, if I was doing a set of 50s all out pace, maybe eight 50s, I might have to take a break after four, do an easy 100 or 200 before I could do the second half of the set. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's really, it's, it's great to, um, to find out what that's like because I've always dreamed of doing a, a swimming camp at altitude and never had the opportunity, but I'll have to put Vale off-piste aquatics on my list. Yes, we would love to have you come join us. There's a lot of people have never had that experience of swimming at altitude. And we encourage people when they, we, ho- we host a camp, we're not doing it this summer. Um, but we have in the past and we always tell people, okay, this is maybe your first time at altitude. You just have to take it a lot easier and really try to maintain your heart rate much lower than what you would think. Um, and the classic example, my husband always says, if we tell people it's a 400 warm up, we say, you might find that you're doing open turns and a lot more backstroke just so you can get that oxygen and feel like you're recovering. Um, it's really important to try and not have your heart rate spike and just allow people to kind of recover because it can be a pretty intense feeling if, you know, you feel that lack of oxygen. Yes, absolutely. How long do you think it would take most people to get feel a little bit better with training is it sort of a three or four day type thing or do you have to be there a few weeks for it to settle down I think it it would probably take several weeks I remember when I well if you look at a lot of the national team swimmers they'll go for in the United States they'll go to the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs which is about 7,000 feet um, and they might stay for six weeks and so they'll probably feel better halfway through um, but a lot of people don't have that luxury of traveling for six weeks to get yes, acclimated. Yeah. So it's really just key. You're, you'll get a benefit. Even if you're only up for a few days, you'll actually feel really great when you go home. And then yeah. that, that benefit probably lasts 24 to 48 hours after you get back down to sea level. Yeah. Oh, that'd be nice. Nice to have that little mm-hmm. boost. <laughs> Absolutely. Take us back to how you started with your swimming what attracted you to um to learning to swim and 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 starting to race I always loved the water as a child but I unlike a lot of my peers did not start competitive swimming until I was 10 and when I was in the fourth grade they did a skills testing at our school district to make sure we were all water safe and that was put on the high school coach was the person who put on that testing. And he told me afterwards that it looked like I had a natural ability for the water. And if I asked if I might be interested in joining the swim team and it took me a few weeks or months afterwards. And I decided, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I was doing soccer and ballet sports that I'm 192 centimeters, six foot four. So I'm not really cut out to be a soccer player or a ballerina um and so swimming was a much better fit for me and, and did you swim all through high school and into college I did I was lucky enough I had a great high school team um had a wonderful club team that I swam with I grew up in a town just south of Dallas Texas and then I swam for Dallas Mustangs which is a club team in the Dallas area and then I was had the opportunity to swim at Southern Methodist University which is in Dallas So I stayed close to home, but we had, I had teammates from Slovakia, Egypt, Japan. Um, I had teammates from Indiana and Washington, Florida. So we had a really great group of women that I got to swim with, which I was really, that was the pinnacle for me to have such a great team um, to get to train with and race with and compete on a national level was really That's, exciting. Yeah, that sounds great. What what division were South Methodist College in? We're Division 1. Division 1. And, yep. Mm-hmm, and luckily, I mean I my 
I think proudest accomplishment for our team was at NCAA is we never finished lower than fourth, um, which was a pretty, I, you know, a special accomplishment for us as a, we took nine to 12 girls, depending on the year to NCAAs. So we didn't have the biggest team, but we were very effective in our events that we had for people scoring and allowing us to have success as a team. I always think it's very interesting as an outsider looking in on the NCAAs and that sort of sense of team that you create. I, I think that's um, such a wonderful, a wonderful thing that college students can experience. And, and it looks like so much fun from an outsider's point of view. Oh, it's the best. I yeah. think because everybody in high school swimming in the United States, you don't always have a really deep team. But when you get to the college level, obviously you can have that opportunity to have a team with more depth. So you have competitive relays, you have multiple people in an event. So it makes training more exciting that you're, you know, if you were by yourself in high school, that may not be the case when you get to college, depending on where you go and the depth of every team. Um, But having teammates to challenge you and workouts is what I found really exciting. And then being able to step up on the blocks together at meets and compete as a team, that is a definitely a different experience than you have when you're just either swimming, I guess, in other countries where you don't have that collegiate yes. competition. Yeah. And I, I think that that's why you have such um, strong relay dynamics on the US national team because you have that sort of the background in the college team system whereas I think particularly in Australia it's only just recently that we've really embraced relays and it used to be very much individual I suppose before that but we've sort of tried to go on with that American relay sort of um, feeling and comradeship that you have on the pool deck it's very visible to when you're watching it particularly at the world champs at the moment, you can tell how linked the US team are. Yes, but I would also, of course, give Australia a lot of credit for a lot of relays that they've stepped up and (laughs) smashed everybody else. (laughs) So even despite not having, you know, I guess a a strong collegiate program, actually, I don't even know how it works in Australia if they do have. We we don't. No, it's much more club-based. Okay. So swimming clubs really take over that thing. So there, there is a few clubs now up on um, in Queensland that sort of base themselves out of a university, but it's not like you get a swimming scholarship to Bond okay. University or Griffith or something like that. They do sponsor some of the swimmers, but it's not it's not the same. And there's no collegiate competition. So it's really just your normal open competitions that they would would um, participate in. But they do train at the university pool. So I suppose there's a bit of a link. But, yeah, there's no NCAA or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, because um, I would, thinking about NCAA swimming, I don't know if there are that many Australians. I'm sure there have been several that have come through, but you yeah. see it. Other countries have stronger pulls of bringing students to the U.S. to compete. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there there are quite a few Australians over there scattered throughout the different colleges, but, yes, it's not always the pathway that Australian swimmers take. So there's, Mm -hmm. you know, we have a very strong program here, particularly in Queensland. A A lot of swimmers have moved up to train with, you know, some of the coaches up there, and it's almost the whole Olympic team. Wow. Yeah, as it's turned out. But, yeah, it's good. Have you been watching the World Champs? Of course. Yes. It's great to watch. very exciting. It has Mm -hmm. been, hasn't it? Yeah, I'm very interested in their underwaters and their streamlines and um, just looking at the different ways that they get off the wall. And and also that's another thing. I think Americans are particularly wonderful at those streamlines and, and turns because you have so much practice in the yards, short course yards. That's actually a very keen observation. I'm sure that is why we might find that to be kind of a skill that many of our swimmers are more proficient at. Of course, even for myself, the breaststroke, getting the dolphin kick, that didn't come in until after I was done with college swimming. Um, Misty Hyman, though, you know, when I, she was a few years, a couple of years behind me 
but I remember when she was in high school and before they put the rule in where you couldn't go beyond 15 meters, she'd do an entire 200 fly where she'd take eight strokes. (laughs) It was incredible. So, and maybe I guess the proficiency with that has continued. Yeah, well, it must have worked for her because I remember her at the Sydney Olympics beating our national treasure, Susie (laughs) O'Neill. Yes. Yes. I'm sorry for you, but I'm very happy for us. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) Well, Susie actually won a gold in the 200 freestyle, so she came away with gold. Yes. (laughs) She just out-touched one of my college teammates for that gold. Oh, who was that? Martina Morisova. Oh, yeah, I I know that name. Yep, she got second in the 200 free and the 100 fly in Sydney. Oh, right. It was very, very exciting. I mean, it was it, wonderful to have yeah. her have that much success. Yeah, that was amazing. I got, I, I was actually in Sydney at the finals that night for the 200 freestyle. So it was so exciting. I've, I've that, never felt such excitement and the crowd was going wild. It was just amazing. Australia knows how to put on an Olympics and especially with the love that your country has of swimming it you could feel the energy watching it on the television yes so I'm jealous you got to be there in person (laughs) yes it's the only one I've attended but I'd, I'd love to go to another one so we've got Brisbane in 2032 so um, that's in Queensland, so I'd like to be going along to those finals. But actually Melbourne, where I live, are hosting the World Short Course Championships in December this year. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, so that's exciting. That'll be something to go and watch as well. Absolutely. Yes. Now let's talk about your Masters for me. So after college, did you go straight into Masters or did you have some time off? How did that all pan out? I actually started coaching Masters when I um even when I graduated from college, I started coaching. I was actually still training, trying to make the Olympic team myself. I graduated college in 99. So I was training, trying to make the 2000 Olympic team, which I didn't. Um, but I was on the national team in 2000, 2001. I competed, I guess my last USA swimming meet was world university games in Beijing in 2001. And then I took some time away from the pool individually. Um, but I was coaching masters and then I had some friends, I was in law school and they were going to do the Maui channel swim, which actually a lot of Aussies go over and do that. And so a couple of my college teammates and some of my girlfriends, it's a six person relay. And they asked me if I wanted to do it. I thought, sounds pretty fun. I've never been to Hawaii and not really done an open water swim. So let's do this. And so I got back in the water to start training for that and fell in love with master swimming and that competition. And I guess I haven't stopped since. Yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, I, I hear that story quite often. People have swum throughout college and open swimming have some time, or not disheartened, but you you don't quite get to where you wanted to go. So you, you leave swimming and you think your life's moving on, but then you get to rediscover it in Masters. And you have that joy that you had when you were a youngster. Because that's all the, exactly right. Yeah. All the pressure's gone, isn't it? I mean, you put pressure on yourself, but there's no outward pressure to perform. That's a, a, that's exactly the right, you, I guess, nailed it. You know, that's how I feel. Um, I did find the joy in swimming again and even the training, you know, I may not compete every year. I try to just because it helps me have a goal. (laughs) So I'm not just training with not being able to test myself, but there, I just, I really do enjoy all aspects of swimming, coaching it, swimming myself, competing, watching my swimmers compete for the first time. Um, Of our 15 people, we have myself, my husband, and one other individual that were college swimmers. And then the other 13, 12 have never done swimming before, might've learned as a kid. And then just kind of organically were drawn to our group and are having a lot of fun doing formal swim practices, which is a first for them. 
Oh, that's great. How, how often or how many times a week are you on coaching duty? I coach two days. We have three practices a week. Yes. I am lucky enough to share the coaching with um, a, a gentleman named Jimmy Rayleigh, who was actually my husband's high school, or he coached him when he was in high school. So Jimmy's been around the sport of swimming for about almost over 50 years, almost 60 years. So he coaches one of the workouts a week for us. And then I get the other two, um, which is fun for me. So I do one from the deck and then I do one in the pool. Um, and which is good because I can see things in people's stroke from in the water that I don't get to see when I'm on the deck. Right. And so when you're coaching in the water, do you, how do you, obviously you can look at people's technique, but if you're actually doing the set yourself, how do you see what's happening in the other lanes? Do you, it's obviously quite different to being on pool deck. It is. I, yeah. I am very good at looking over. Um, I will skip a lot of the set of whatever we're doing to watch other people. So my practice may not be as intense when I'm in the water as it would be if I were doing it by myself, which I do the majority of my training, I do by myself. Um, but it's fun to be in the water with everybody and they enjoy it because, um, I mean, we're just a really close knit team and they, they'll say, Oh, we don't want you on deck today. We want you in the water, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which in the winter I'm, I would definitely say I spend more time in the water than I do up on the deck just because it's so cold. Yeah, absolutely. How do you structure a workout as a coach to deal with different levels of um, uh, or different swimmers, different levels of the swimmers? Because you've got obviously got some experience and some new swimmers. Right. I would say we have we have a five lane pool. And so we do it, I think, like most masters teams where you have it's done by speed. So each person mm-hmm. in the lane kind of we try to pair people up we usually have two to three people in a lane that are equally matched. And I will either cut the number of rounds that some of our less competitive swimmers are doing, or if I can change the distances to match. So everybody's finishing at the same time. Yeah. My lane might go one fifties. The next two lanes would go one twenty fives. The other two lanes would go one hundreds. And so we can all go on the same intervals. I try to do that a lot because I think it's really helpful. It, and it's fun because as you know, in master swimming, it's actually pretty social. Yes. Um, and I think our group especially puts a paramount on the social aspect of it. Knowing that we're going to have a good workout, that they're willing to take a little bit of extra rest or wait. So we have that social time transitioning between sets. Yeah. I like the fact that you're all coming. And some at of the our same swimmers, time. it's hard to get them to stop talking. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's, a, it makes a, it really fun. Yeah. That's a, that's a common trait of a master's program though. I think having a chat <laughs> and a coffee oh, afterwards. Yes. <laughs> yes. Although there's some programs, I don't know, I I found over the years, there are some programs that are a little more intense. They don't like to socialize as much. They really want to get their yardage in and would like to get it done in the fastest amount of time possible. Even if they're done 10 minutes before the practice ends, they're out. Yes. (laughs) Kind of to each their own. Yeah. And I I think you you find where, where best suits you as well. Yes. Yeah, because there are lots of different programs. And obviously, California has a huge amount of programs, master swimming programs, doesn't it? So I'm sure everyone can find something that fits in with their philosophy. Absolutely. It's always interesting when there are master's nationals that are held in California, there'll be, you know, 3,000 people that will come and at least half of them are all California swimmers. (laughs) (laughs) So there's not that many that go when it's not in California. I I would say it's hard to get them to go out of California to go to the East Coast. They don't rep, they don't have as large of numbers, maybe. Right. I don't know. Okay, that's interesting. And when you're setting a training session, what's a typical session that you set for your squad? Um, we'll probably we aim to get about three thousand meters in in an hour. Yeah. 
um, down to about maybe 2,200 for our less competitive lanes. Um, and we try to mix it up of a good mixture of maybe one or two of the days are freestyle. And then the other, the third day is usually IM or stroke. And do you use a lot of equipment? We don't, our people like to use their fins and they like to pull, but they're actually pretty good. They're not the typical master swimmers that put the equipment on and never take it off for the entire practice. I think because they don't have that swimming background where they've had injuries, swimming related injuries that they need to use that equipment to help them as opposed to other swimmers in my past that I know, you know, pull because they have bad knees from whatever their shoulders are terrible. They can't pull. They want to use their fins all the time. So I actually encourage my, my swimmers to put their fins on and pull when they would normally want to swim something. So I think we're, we're kind of an abnormal bunch. (laughs) (laughs) And you mentioned that you sometimes get in the water with your um, squad to to get your own swims in. How many times a week do you swim by yourself and, and with the squad? So what's a typical training week look like for your swimming? If I have something that I'm training for, I'm probably swimming five to six times a week, which means I get two with the group and then the other three to four are by myself. And then if I'm not training for anything in particular, I'm probably swimming three to four times a week. So, but I, I do find my husband, um, is recovering from a, a brain tumor that he, we found actually about a year ago. And I was super inconsistent last year in my swimming, but I found that as long as I could get in the water, it didn't matter what I was doing. The intensity was nowhere near what I would normally do, but just maintaining that feel in the water actually really helped me. And I was able to have my first meet. I guess I did two meets this year, the Colorado state masters meet. And then I went to masters nationals in San Antonio and I actually swam better there than I thought I would given how little intense training I had done over the year. Yes. Well, I'm sorry to hear about your husband. Is he on the road to recovery now? He is. He's in remission. He was a college swimmer too. He's just back into the water and it it's, everything looks really great, which is very exciting. That's exciting. That's good. I'm pleased to hear. Thank you. (laughs) Pass on my best wishes. That's, that's wonderful. And do you supplement your, when you're training for something like nationals, do you supplement your training with dry land or strength work? I do. I tried. So living in a mountain town, there are a lot of things that I can be doing in the summer. It's hiking, biking, swimming, lifting. Um, I, I did CrossFit for many years when I lived in California with a a great gym there. Um, now that I'm here in Colorado, we have basically a home gym. And so I try to do that about twice a week. And then I'm trying to hike and bike another one to two times a week. It's sometimes hard juggling at all with work and other obligations, but in an ideal world, that's what's happening. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) It is hard to fit it all in, isn't it? Ideally, it it would be nice to, to get it all in. Right. But well, and in the winter, it feels even harder because downhill skiing, snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, a lot of people, I don't mountain bike in the snow, but there are people that do. So there, it just, there's an endless amount of opportunities to exercise. And I wouldn't say I'm very good at doing all of them because I, I don't, I'm, I'm definitely a water sport person. And so learning these other sports has been really fun and challenging for me for many years, you know, they, in college and high school, they, our coaches didn't want us skiing because they didn't want us tearing up our knee or hurting our shoulder or breaking something. Yes. That was, that's the same as what I had. I I grew up in a skiing family. um, But I, I stopped skiing when I was 11 or 12 because of that very same reason I wasn't allowed to get injured. And then didn't, didn't ski again until I was in my twenties, but, um, I, I do love skiing, but I'm 
because I, I missed out on all those years, I'm not very good. I'm only, I can only get to a certain level and never go past it. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. I, I feel I may excel in swimming, but compared to my swimmers and everybody else in this town that I live in, I'm a terrible athlete. <laughs> I can't compare to the athletic ability that they have for skiing and everything else. Yeah, I know. I know my brother skied that whole time when I wasn't skiing and he's just superb and then swapped on to, and can do snowboarding. And when he skis, he skis it just like that. They're just, I'm so jealous. So, yeah, perfect turns. That's, perfect I'm definitely turns. looking for that. Always looking for the perfect turn, not the snowplow. No. (laughs) (laughs) And let's have a look at your um, master's competitive career. Did you, um, the events that you were specialising in when you were at college and on the US team, did you follow those through with masters or have you changed events? What, What do you sort of like swimming now? Well, I was a breaststroker growing up. I had to do the 500 for my third event at NCAA. So I was kind of that weird breaststroker who couldn't do IM. Um, I do dabble a little bit in IM now as a master swimmer. The 100 IM, of course, to me is the best event. So I love short course meters and short course yards when we can actually do it. I definitely stick to the brushstrokes. That's, it's kind of my bread and butter, I guess. It's where I'm most comfortable, but I am enjoying actually trying to do, you know, close to best, best times. I think I actually might've gone a best time in the hundred free because I don't know if I actually ever raced that in college. Um, And then I'm enjoying the 200 free and the 500, but usually the way that the events roll out at a swim meet, they put the 500 and a brushstroke event really close together. So I don't always get to race the 500 when I'm rested. So it's hard to see what I could actually do do butterfly or backstroke because I'm terrible <laughs> at both of them. And I don't, I, I, it's like, do we have a sundial to keep track of the time is what I would need <laughs> if I did those. <laughs> well, that, that's so I'm, I'm like that with breaststroke. I don't do breaststroke. And I just, I recently went and started swimming with another coach once a week. And when I first went there, he said, no, you can swim all strokes. And I said, well, I really can't. I only do freestyle and backstroke. That's it. No butterfly because my shoulder's wrecked. No breaststroke because my knee's wrecked. So yep. you just have to do what you can. And he's accepted exactly. it after a few weeks of trying. Well, that's good. <laughs> At least you have some variety. Some people only can do one. Yeah. And I feel bad for them because a little bit of variety is always great. Definitely. And also balancing the body out with your muscles. Yes. I think that's important as well. I would agree 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And you broke two national records at um, spring nationals in San Antonio. What were they, what events were they in? The 50 breast and the hundred breast. And And which one? Oh, sorry, you go. Yeah. Oh, it helped because I moved into a new age group. So Uh, very nice. Which one were you happiest with? Um, Actually, probably the 50. Um, I just, that event to me is very difficult. Because a lot of times if I'm trying to actually go for the 50, I, everything has to be right from the start to the pullout, to the turn, um, the stroke count. And if it isn't right, you can be so disappointed because it's over so fast. And many times when I've tried to have a really good 50 and something goes wrong, I'll actually go out faster in my hundred. So I there's usually a second bite at the apple for me, but this time my 50 was actually a great swim. I um, was just happy to be back. It was the first event at national. So it was kind of, there was a lot of angst that I had inside of, can I make my competitive juices start flowing? Because after COVID and then my husband getting sick, um, I just didn't have, I hadn't done a lot of racing and in my mind, the best way to be good at racing is to race. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's good. I'm glad you had a great 50. Is there anything yeah. you, you feel that you want to improve on before you race again? Any lessons learned? I, I just think I need to focus on my fitness and 
more tempo training and really working kind of that anaerobic threshold. I, I think when I get some of that under my belt, hopefully in the next year, I'll be able to go a little bit faster. Yeah. Do you spin the 200 breaststroke as well? I do. I actually just missed that record. Um, that I wasn't sure how that was going to happen or, you know, what would happen if I would be anywhere close to it, just given the lack of training that I had. Um, so I was actually pretty pleased, um, with my time and I'm looking forward to actually, I want to try to swim short course meters, which our season for that is usually October, November, December. So I might look to do that. I won't be able to do any racing this summer long course. So, which I hate missing out on because I love long course. It's always a lot of fun, but I'm really proficient with my turns. So I actually, I think I swim better short course, but I enjoy long course. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you also mentioned the tempo difference between the 50 and the hundred. What, what would be your stroke count difference between those two? Well, I might... The stroke count is actually probably the same for the first 50. It's the second 50 um, that I just probably add a stroke. So it's usually it's four, five, six, seven, I think is usually, but that's yards. I don't know if I could, I'd have to go back and watch (laughs) my (laughs) short course meters or long course. I don't actually, it's been so long since I've raced them that I don't know those stroke counts. Yes. Yeah. I know. I mean, COVID just put a spanner in all competitive works, didn't it? It did. I'm so glad we're kind of moving past it. We, you know, at least swimming, it was never that, you know, that chlorine, they found that that didn't help spread it. So it was just, it helped us and having the advantage of swimming in an outdoor pool, I think helped a lot of people get back into the water faster than those that had indoor pools. Yes. Did, did your pool close down in Vail during COVID? It did. Yeah. It did from I guess March 15th or whenever the world shut down 2020. And then we opened up just after July 4th that summer. And actually a a few of, we have a a Creek that runs through Vail and it's pretty cold because it's all snow melt. And some of us were kind of going stir crazy, not being in a pool. So we put our wetsuits on and we got in the Creek and swam a couple of times, which was really <laughs> fun, but you can't swim for very long. Cause it's very cold. Yes. So we were kind of doing 30 seconds on cycles between two or three people. It was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Similarly, we did the same kind of thing. We, um, in Melbourne where we have a, a bay called Port Phillip Bay, um, and we were locked down during winter too. So we were swimming in there and it was really very, very cold as oh well gosh. nine degrees were you wearing wetsuits yeah wetsuits okay good caps gloves booties mm-hmm. everything <laughs> everything oh, we were much more equipped we needed <laughs> the gloves we didn't have the gloves I didn't have gloves and then my face would get really face cold freezing yeah <laughs> like that ice cream headache but yeah on your face yeah right <laughs> absolutely getting back to nationals talk us through your race day so how how long before you race do you get to the pool and do your warm-up and get your suit on how does that all work for you I definitely need time to get my suit on because I'm not the smallest person on the planet but I I think putting on suits no matter what size is a struggle oh, um so I definitely walk the time back I want to be dry and in my suit with about probably 10 minutes before my event. Um, so I'm usually warming up maybe an hour before that. And I give myself about 10 or 15 minutes to put my suit on. Um, and so I usually try to wake up several, if I'm swimming at nine o'clock, I'm up at seven, having, you know, breakfast, maybe six 30 to have it digest. And then I'm in the warm-up pool by 7 30 to be my warm-up takes about 30 minutes and then I'm out dry off and then I'll be changing and in my suit by about 8 40 8 40 I guess 20 minutes before I swim 10 yeah. minutes before I swim kind of generally yeah and what do you find works best um for for breakfast on a race day I try not to eat too much, but I'll usually have a piece of fruit and some egg whites 
biscuits and a maybe an English muffin. So I and if I am swimming really early and don't feel like I have I I treasure my sleep. <laughs> so I will prioritize sleeping over eating. So if it's a morning where I don't feel like I have enough time to digest a breakfast that's that big, I might just have a protein shake, do the swim, and then have a breakfast afterwards. Yeah, that's it, it all depends on when the when the event mm-hmm. is in the program. Yeah. Exactly. Definitely. And are you someone that likes to, when you get on pool deck before or in the, the ready room, do you like to chat and socialize with people or are you in the zone and you don't like to speak to anyone till after the race? I love talking before. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people, I have a very serious face. So if I, a lot of people tell me that it, I look intimidating before I swim, but if you actually were to start engaging with me, I will engage with you, but otherwise I'm probably just focused on what I'm doing. But now having done masters for several years, I have so many friends on deck that if I'm not hugging and jumping up and down and giggling, that I'm probably not going to have as much fun in a race if I'm not loose and kind of enjoying the whole experience. Yes. Do you visualize the race yourself doing the race before you do it? I do. Um, I think that's really helpful. Just it, one, it gets my heart rate up because as I'm focusing, I, it doing kind of that meditation, I guess will make my heart rate get up, which is always good. You want to have your blood pumping, I think before you dive off the blocks. Um, and so I do do a lot of some visualization either the night before and, or before the morning of the swim. It's sort of an untapped area. A lot of master swimmers don't think about what they're going to do until they get to the blocks. I think that's right. Yeah. And I do, I think find it very helpful for myself to, to, it gives you that, or for me, it gives me confidence that I can visualize what I'm going to do because if I've been practicing it in my workouts, then I know I can visualize it and then execute it when it comes to the race time. Yeah. Yeah. That's really sound advice. I like it. Let's have a quick talk about your, um, your FINA world records that you got. Um, where, where and when did they happen and, and tell us about that? Um, my first world record was in Houston when they had masters nationals. I think that was 2007. And then I have a great competitor. Um, she really pushes me. Um, Cynthia Lewis, she's in my, we're in the same age group for about four years. And then she's one year ahead of me. So she pops out ahead. Um, we had some really great races and when masters nationals were in mission Viejo, maybe 2013 that I swam, she pushed me to times that I didn't know were possible as a master swimmer. Um, I was 112, 34, I think in the hundred. And then I went 239, the tuna breast long course. Um, and I haven't touched those times since, but I've, you know, obviously aged since then. Um, it's always, a, and then I did a short course meters world record. There's a meet in commerce city, which is just outside of Los Angeles in December, a lot of, it's kind of the informal U S short course meters nationals. They don't, we don't have a short course meters championships, but this meet, I would say is probably on par with that full of obviously the California swimmers, like we talked about before, but then you also have swimmers that come from all around the country to be there because they know that the competition is pretty fierce. Um, and a, you'll see a lot of world records broken at that meet. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, Steve West, do you know Steve yes, West from, yeah, I, I think he broke one there. That was just yes. a recent meet, wasn't it? Um, yes, he did his, that was a different meet that he did, but the one oh, in okay. no, November or December, yes. it's always the first weekend in December. He might've right. broken it then, but if he went last year, I didn't. So yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Have you ever been to Athena Worlds Championship? I did. I did one in Montreal back in 2015, and that was a really amazing experience. Um, there were so many people I 
did not anticipate how long a, a master's meet could take. You know, everybody, were, did you swim that one by chance? I did actually. That was, okay. that's the only one I've been to as well. Um, okay. Yeah, I was blown away as well Me with too. how many people and the warm up. The warm up was yes. crazy. <laughs> Yeah. I agree because that one pool was so far off and I had all but one swim was in that far pool. So timing, you know, you talk about eating and trying to warm up and get your suit. That meat was especially difficult. And I found personally that it was very, ch- I did not swim as well there as I would at maybe a U.S. nationals maybe for all of those factors that I just, you know, not able to allocate my time in the most efficient way to help me swim the best. But, um, so I, I, I would like to do another one or several. I just, I think I would approach it different and I wouldn't do as many events. I think I tried to do six events. I think if I were to do it again, I would do one event a day so that it just helps with the allocation of time, knowing how long those meets last. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you've got to do one to understand how it works and then do another one after that. Because as you say, you've got to race to get better at racing. You can't yes. just train all the time. And I was totally unprepared. I didn't give myself enough time to get over the jet lag. And oh. I just couldn't get my sleep back into um, a good routine. I just, yeah, and I was so tired the whole week I was there. But it was an amazing experience. So, I know that was great. And I'm very grateful and thankful that I went. It was wonderful. It's always a great excuse, I guess, to travel and meet new people. And the swimming community is so much fun. Yes. But it's, as my husband says, you know, it's one thing to go for a swim meet. It's another to try to go and be breaking world records. He said, his advice was, if we're going to do it, let's just go and have fun at the meet and not put that pressure on. And then you can try to, if you want to break records, go try to do it at a different swim meet. That's good advice. Very mm. good advice. Yeah. <laughs> Look, Hedy, I like to finish off um, the podcast with a little Q&A, deep dive into a few of your, a few little sort of snapshots of your swimming. So I just wanted to ask what your favorite pool was that you'd ever swum in. The University of Texas has a really amazing swimming pool. It's actually where I did my last regular U.S. nationals, but it's a pool that I swam in a lot growing up as a kid. We had our state meets there in high school and we've had nationals and that to me, it's such a fast pool. It was built in the seventies. It's a, it's an old pool, but they maintain it really well. And when you look at the scoreboard there and look at the records that have been set, many world records, and it's just a great pool. Sounds nice. I'll have to put it on my list of pools to visit. Yes. What's your favorite current race suit? What one did you use at San Antonio Nationals? I used, I don't actually know the name of it. I love arena suits. I just think they fit my body the best for how tall I am. Um, it's not the, it's, I think it's the carbon pro, whatever the, the new carbon pro. Yes. Yeah. What color have you got? I did black, even though I really liked a blue one and I had a pink one at one time. So I'm I'm a big fan. Yeah. (laughs) What's your favorite breaststroke training drill? I love breathing every other stroke. I feel like it really sets my stroke up well in that it helps me stay high in the water and not diving down too deep. Yeah. So when you say breathing, you does your head stay down for every second stroke or you come up but don't breathe? You come up but don't breathe. You kind of you almost right. leave your face just in the water just a little bit, um, but just don't take a breath. Right. So kind and of it emulates exactly your swimming stroke, but kind of just leaving maybe your the tip of your face in the water. Right. And what is your favorite training set to do? Maybe give us a breaststroke training set because we don't get many of those. Sure. So I stole this. Well, Tim Edmonds was my swim coach at, at Stanford Masters. And he always would have us do 850s where you go two on a minute, two on 120, two on 140, two on two minutes, 
you're trying to hold the best average. So you have to start out really fast and then you go right into a 400 pull on kind of a not super recovery interval. And then you do it again. And that is really challenging. You don't feel like you get your breath back until about five or six. Wow. Even if I'm, you know, going 45s or 40s on the first couple of 50s, you're only getting 20 to 15 seconds rest, depending. So you're you're kind of taxed. But I love that set. I have I write workouts for several people and they've all learned what we call it the test set. So yeah. And is the pool breaststroke as well, or do you do that freestyle? Oh no, sorry, that freestyle. So you kind That's of get a little style. bit of recovery. Yep. Yes. Sorry, yeah. I should have. I was going to say 400, 400 breaststroke pool is quite, it's quite a, a journey. That would take a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's a good set. Yeah, we'll have to share that with everyone and they can they can try it for a test set for themselves. That's great. Sure. Thank you so much for joining us today, Katie. It's been lovely getting to know you and hearing about your swimming journey and wishing you every success with all the competitions coming up on the horizon. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you so much. Take care. You too. Okay. Bye. Thank you, Mark. I really enjoyed chatting to Katie for this episode. And I'm so enthusiastic now to go and try some altitude swimming and experience that little burst of energy at sea level. So thanks very much to Katie for sharing her experience with us today. I really hope you're enjoying our podcasts, both Torpedo Swim Talk and TST Quick Splash. And if you are, could I please ask a small favour before you go today? If you could scroll down to the bottom of our episodes on Apple Podcasts and write us a review, that would really mean the world to me. I read them all and it really inspires me to keep bringing you more content because then I know that I'm reaching out to all those master swimmers out there who want to hear more. So if you could just take a few seconds to do that, it would be great. Thanks so much. Till next time, happy swimming.